Welcome to the HRS Podcast, the show where we talk to experts about the things that can go wrong in the workplace and how to avoid them. This podcast is presented by ActDesk, the software that helps employers prevent harassment and spot talent inside their organizations. After the show, learn more at ActDesk.com. That's E-K-D-E-S-K.com. But for now, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Our topic today is employment litigation risk in 2019. Today's HR professionals juggle dozens of issues in their risk portfolios. Retention, recruiting, benefits, engagement, succession, and the list goes on and on. But perhaps the most haunting risk of all is the specter of litigation, which can cost an employer dearly in attorney fees, settlements and judgments, reputational damage, and business disruption. To mitigate this litigation risk, Some employers purchase Employment Practices Liability Insurance, also called EPLI. EPLI covers litigation brought by employees over such issues as harassment and discrimination or compensation concerns like wage and hour disputes. Just like general commercial insurance, EPLI can help cover not only settlements and judgments, but also legal fees. So in a year marked by increased awareness of workplace harassment and Me Too issues, as well as an uptick in wage and hour disputes in some states, We wanted to see where the employment litigation trends are headed in 2019 and where they were in 2018. To help answer those questions, our guest today is Rick Betterly, the president of Betterly Risk Consultants. For over 25 years, Rick has surveyed EPL insurance carriers annually to learn about trends in employment practices coverage and where the industry sees the future headed. His annual EPLI reports have become must-read within the EPLI industry, among employment and labor attorneys, and others in the broader HR and risk worlds. Rick, we're excited to chat with you today, but before we get into some of the findings of your 2018 report, we might have some listeners who aren't yet familiar with employment practices insurance. So I wondered if you could give us just a high-level overview of what EPLI is, who takes out these policies, what do they cover, how can they be gotten, and maybe in a ballpark estimate, kind of what do they typically cost? Oh, thanks, Andrew. Those are are really good questions. And although this insurance product's been around for of almost 30 years, it's it's still questions that we hear you know, pretty frequently. What's it cover? So if you think about it, it's liability insurance, which means it covers the defense costs and the settlements and or, or judgments, mostly around allegations by employees, potential employees, or future or former employees, excuse me, uh, that they were discriminated against, harassed, uh, wrongfully terminated, et cetera. Those are employment relations kind of issues. So although those are three examples, I don't want listeners to think, well, that's all that it covers because the policies have gotten quite a bit broader. They're basically around the idea of employees who have experienced or believe they've experienced mistreatment. So liability insurance, and it comes out of the employment relationship. Okay. Who buys it? Well, these are bought by employers. Employers could be, of course, for-profit, not-for-profit, governmental, you name it. If if there are employees or people that are like employees, could be contractors, independent contractors, for example, although less likely, Uh, that's that's who buys it. Uh, Sometimes people think it's only for big companies or only for small companies or only for medium-sized companies. Um, that would not be true. It's really for all employers. 
most likely it's bought by mid-sized companies, uh, excuse me, mid-sized employers. But large employers, the very largest employers tend to buy it. They'll have a much larger deductible or what we call self-insured retention. And then a, a lot of smaller employers buy it also, but not not as often as they probably should. And of course, the really tiny employers below, you know, 15 employees or so, you know, probably are not buying it. What's it cost is one of those things like, like, you know, what's it cost to go out to dinner? Well, it depends on where we're going. So it's kind of hard. It's impossible really to answer that. You could be talking about some hundreds of dollars for a very small employer. Uh, and you could be talking about millions of dollars, uh, low millions for the largest employer. So I wish I could answer that one, but I really can't. Oh, that's, that's fair enough. And, and thank you. Thank you for that overview. So workplace harassment and me too have been really headline issues over the last two years. In your 2017 report, you noted that the industry, the EPL industry, was really bracing for an uptick in Me Too litigation, and you speculated that carriers might need to change their underwriting practices, particularly for high-risk industries like entertainment. But it was a little bit of a wait and see at the end of 2017. With 2018 now pretty much behind us, what have EPL insurers seen in terms of workplace harassment in Me Too litigation? How's it affected the business of, of EPL insurance and what are the expectations for 2019? That was a nice characterization that you just gave. It was definitely a, we're well aware of it back in end of 2017. We're very cautious. We're, we're uh, keeping a close eye on it, but we're not doing anything particularly yet uh, would be an underwriter's position. 2018, now we've got 12 months under our belt. We've seen how much more pervasive this has been. It's it's a, well, I don't want to say an uptick uh, because it's a lot larger than an uptick, but an increase in something that has always, you know, it seems like always been going on, has always been a source of claims, but now there's been a, a what seems to be a substantial increase in the amount of attention. But what we don't know, because litigation takes a long time, right. is where this all really shakes out. It's possible that for some of the most egregious headline employment practices, misbehaviors, and I, boy, that's underplaying the word, but when I say misbehavior, uh, that may well be that some of the worst examples are going to be excluded under the policies because they were so egregious, mm -hmm. uh, so intentional. Uh, so from an insurance company standpoint, there's still a lot of unknowns. So what we found is quite a variation. We did the research for the 2018 report that we're just, just now releasing. That report shows the wide variation of the insurance company's responses when I asked the questions about how are you responding to this, this Me Too experience that we're going through. You know, they, they could respond by, by saying, look, we're going to pay more attention to certain industries. And I think that's a fairly pervasive answer and a, and a smart one, too. You know, it looks like entertainment. Uh, it looks like we're a celebrity, uh, not necessarily a cultural celebrity, but very, you know, sort of famous person owns or leads the, the, the employer, uh, paying a lot more attention to those situations. Not a lot of, yet we're automatically charging more or automatically not offering insurance to them. Having said that, I want to be really cautious that what I'm being told is not always what's actually happening. 
the insurance company might want, not want it known that they're taking a much harder look at, let's say, uh, entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may be that, in fact, uh, for each individual application from that industry, they're looking at it very skeptically. That's quite possible. And and so sort of along with that is they're being very, very cautious when they have an applicant that's never bought EPL insurance before, because, of course, it raises the why now question. What do you know? What do you know you're not telling us right, it's a, would be an underrated thought? It's a little bit of a, an adverse selection uh, issue at that point if, if somebody is just now coming to the, the EPL market. Um, exactly. So uh, apart from me, too, I've I've also spoken with a few people in the EPL industry who've really been focused in on the rise of wage and hour class actions. I, I was even actually at a wedding a, a month ago or so, and, and during the cocktail hour uh, before the reception, just as part of casual conversation, folks started talking about this wage and hour class action against a, a popular local restaurant. So it seems to be something that there's some movement out there. Uh, what have you seen in your 2018 report about wage and hour litigation? What's maybe driving it, and where do you see it going in 2019? That is funny about the question at the at the wedding. Like, who who knew insurance would be so much fun? Um, I, wage and hours and really interesting employment practices subject because insurance companies largely view wage and hour as a voluntary decision by employers to have a pay uh, system that you know could lead to problems. Mm-hmm. And is it, is the thinking, hey, we can get away with it. We won't get caught. They wouldn't sue us. I don't know. So insurance companies are very reluctant to insure wage and hour. The trouble with that is there are two parts of wage and hour. One is, well, what about the wages that should have been paid and now because of a judgment or a settlement will be paid, probably plus interest? Well, you should have paid that anyway or already, one might say to the employer, and we're not going to pay that. Uh, but then the other part is the defense. You know, there's a lot of litigation leading up to that that decision, and not everybody with a wage and hour violation did it intentionally. In fact, there's probably a lot of them that are not done intentionally, especially mid-size and smaller employers. I would suggest. So uh, you see very differing responses from the insurance companies in our survey. Many of them will provide defense coverage, the lawyer costs. Um, but they won't cover the damages, the actual wages plus interest. Uh, and some don't even provide the defense. I think that makes sense as a distinction in, in a way it would almost incentivize wage and hour violations if, if you're kind of covering the uh, the back wages uh, and the, the interest uh, on that. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it, it'd be a foolish employer indeed if they thought, well, that's all right, the insurance company will pay for it because the ramifications are, are, are way worse than just what the insurance is going to pay for. But yes, that that um, that behavior is something that an underwriter properly is afraid of. So um, what we see is, I don't know a lot about the trend in litigation. We probably ought to get an attorney on the phone for that one. But for the insurance, I don't see a whole lot changing in terms of the availability of wage and hour uh, coverages. It's you know still out there. It's still an area of concern. Not a lot of, not a lot of change either way at the insurance company side. Sure. So, are there any categories of employment practices issues that weren't really on the radar a few years ago, but they're coming up now? I, I know in your 2017 report you mentioned immigration as a potential area. 
are there any new frontiers of of employment litigation or enforcement actions that employers need to be thinking about or what are insurance carriers doing there or forecasting for 2019 that you've seen? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, that's hard to tell. So from a litigation standpoint, it, it seems like there's the insurance has been around a long time. The litigation has been around a long time. And from a forecasting standpoint, you may not know what area of litigation is going to be hot this year, but it's probably there's probably going to be a lot of activity. So when you think about how large the employment practices insurance book of business would be for all of the carriers combined, the fluctuations in how much they're having to pay for claims and how much they're having to pay for defense is more sort of long-term variations. For example, lawyers' fees keep going up and up you know, on the per hour, and the complexity of the cases goes up and up and up. In terms of where those are coming from, you know, one year it's racial, another year it's religious, another year it's country of origin. Uh, it kind of, it's kind of some waves that go up and down, it seems, between all of those. Got to believe that the, um, and, and we are concerned, that the perhaps more widely spread belief or widely held belief that, you know, it's okay to be mean to your, to your you know, fellow, fellow man or, or woman, and maybe that's country of origin, more so immigration these days, could be a, a push towards higher levels of claims and more claims. On the other hand, sometimes, um, you know, people just feel like, well, I can't win this, so I'm not going to bring a suit. One impact for now is that with virtually full employment, which we seem to have in the economy at the moment, uh, or until recently, people that are people that are being harmed in the workplace who have options like I'm just going to go get a different job, I'm leaving, and may not be as likely to bring litigation. And that that's been the case in the past. If they can go find another job pretty easily, less likely to go get a lawyer. Because let's face it, it's ugly to get involved in litigation. No, right. it, it's not fun. Yeah. So go get a different job, and that's a lot easier. You know, in this economy, you know, what's that going to be like next year and the year after? You know, I wish I knew, but I don't think the tea leaves are looking too promising in terms of continuing full employment. We'll see. Right. I, I have those same concerns with, with the tea leaves for 2019, but it sounds like from just a, a macro trend perspective, if we start seeing job growth slow down or, or reverse and we see, um, hopefully not, but if we see unemployment start ticking up, then we might might see a, a rise uh, kind of after that as a lagging indicator of, of a rise in employment litigation, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. And and when you said, mentioned lag indicators, that's a really important insight that, that insurance companies have trouble struggling with is you know, they'll see things happening uh, maybe after they've already written and priced the policy. Mm-hmm. And then they're just along for the ride. And it's an, you know, then it's a matter of expense control. So uh, we sure wish we could do a better job at the insurance company level of preventing uh, the things that lead to claims. Um, and, you know, that still, that still has a lot of promise that's not yet been realized. So I think that gets to a pretty neat feature, the, the, the idea of preventing claims of, of your EPL reports, which is the, the value add section. Uh, for mm-hmm. listeners, this is a section in Rick's reports that break out the types of services and benefits carriers are providing to their insureds beyond just pay me X premium and you'll get Y coverage. Uh, some of these value adds 
are things like the hotline to run legal questions by employment lawyers, uh, employee handbook and policy reviews, workplace training resources. Have you seen anything new in 2018 in terms of the value ads carriers are offering, how they're using the value ads to maybe compete in the market? I know it's a, a pretty competitive market and, and maybe whether they're trying to align those value ads with the goal of uh, not just winning the business, but preventing claims in the first place. You know, talk about a win-win. If an insurance company could have its insureds have fewer things that lead to claims, that would be good for everybody, right? right. Um, great conceptually, hard to implement. Um, and But there's a long history in the insurance industry of providing valuable services that relate to not having events that lead to claims happen in the first place. Think about workplace safety for workers' compensation, driver training for automobile, things like that. So one of the real real pleasures in writing and researching the, the EPLI market survey is trying to follow what's going on and see what the trends are in these, these value-added services, uh, most of which come for free with the insurance policy. And I, I'm really intrigued that when we when I started writing about uh, employment practices and we saw that value-added services was going to be a product differentiator, and there was a very, very short list of services that that were offered. And, um, you know, it was great there were, there were any services being offered, but they would largely go to, you know, sample employee handbooks, um, a, a free audit of your employment practices risk. Uh, some things like that, and and to see that the 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 use of those services by the insureds was w- approaching negligible. I remember one time an insurance company telling me, and this was probably 20 years ago. They said, you know, it's great that we have all these services, but we can't give much credit on the premium for them because almost none of the insureds use them, even though they're free. And so I would talk to insureds in my role as a consultant and a researcher and find they weren't even aware of the of the services availability, that somehow or other the message from the insurance company never got through to the insured, hey, here are these services, you might want to use them. Now, there's some skepticism often in the in the mind of an insured that if it's from the the services from the insurance company, it can't be any good. And there's also typically some pushback from their own employment attorneys that, well, you know, we could, we could do that for you. We can provide those services. Let us do it. And here's what it will cost. So some of the, some of the variation and some of the change we've seen is, is more about messaging about the services, trying to get the insureds to make use of the services. We've seen some nice things where there's, you know, there's follow up through the broker to the insured if if they if the insurance company sees that the free services aren't being offered, just as a reminder, they're available. Very light touch, but still good good follow up. Um, what I've also seen is that some of the original services have just gone by by the boards. For example, that audit of employment practices. Uh, it's amazing to me to see in the tables of of my report how few of the insurance companies are even offering those anymore. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is I don't think they were being used. And the second and probably more important is I doubt the insurance company wants its name attached to an audit of whether you're good at managing employment practices and then having to pay the claim later on. 
So that's probably that's going on too. Right. It, it, that is unfortunate though, because to the, if an employer is receptive to having issues spotted, uh, an audit might really kind of open eyes about some, some issues that maybe they hadn't really thought about, but that might be easy fixes in some ways. Well, right, right. And so I think one of the important roles the insurance companies can play is to help sort of separate the the really effective services from those that sound great but don't really accomplish much. And there's a lot of there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit chasing those dollars that employers spend or ought to spend on reducing the potential of employment practices. Uh, bad events that, you know, if it's insured would lead to a claim. And how does an employer know which ones are the good ones and which ones aren't? It's uh, ideally the insurance company can be helpful in sort of helping identify and make aware and make available yeah. uh, the services that are really good and, you know, not so much the ones that aren't. Right. And one dynamic there is, is probably too with, with the competitive market for EPL coverage, there's only kind of so much value add that carriers can provide on their own, on their own dime, just the economics don't necessarily work out. And so I think that's a good point that you, you made about maybe if not providing services then helping insureds identify services that might be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the, the really valuable services that, that insurance companies could be helpful with is, and not terribly expensively, is helping find those events that could blow up and lead to substantial, whether it's the number of claims or the size of the claims, but especially the size of the claims, where you've got something that if you had only known that it was that it was happening, that the uh, you know the, that the red flag goes up to say you you know you need to intervene in, in this situation. And uh, you know, cut off what could be millions of dollars of of of, uh, of loss because of one action or inaction. You know, maybe spend a few hundred thousand to make it go away. You know, we'd all be better off. And so, I think that's one of those kind of things that can be delivered relatively inexpensively. But it is a challenge figuring out what are the services that work, what are the ones that don't. And from the insurance company standpoint, they just don't have enough margin at the end of the day to just go off and buy all these things for the insurers. The insurers are way too price uh, price conscious when they're buying the policy. Yeah, agreed. Uh, have you spotted any changes in 2018 and, and who the typical EPL policyholder is, whether it's in terms of what industries they're coming from or their headcounts or maybe their geographic locations? And if you are spotting changes, does that say anything about how employers are thinking about their litigation risk going forward? I mean, we, we talked at, at the beginning of the, of the conversation about sort of the adverse selection of I'm buying EPL insurance for the first time now. And what does that maybe mean? Do, do I have concerns that are leading me to do that? Are, are you seeing any trends along those lines? You know, I, I don't. And, and, uh, um, the part of the world I work in, you know, which is you know across the United States a bit, a bit globally, but mostly mostly U.S. But across the U.S., if I were to come across a client that was not already carrying employment practices insurance, I would be just 
That's a professional reaction, right? Totally baffled. So why you're, why why is it that this client isn't buying this kind of insurance? And uh, because, my point being, this is a really rare event when in the world that I, as I see it, that an insured doesn't buy employment practices liability insurance already. They might decide to buy more. They might decide to change insurance companies. They might decide to self-insure more and then just have catastrophe insurance on top. But it's unlikely that they're not buying it now. Now, the big what's the big exception there? The big exception would be small employers. And, and I know about small employers because I see the numbers, but I don't have a lot of direct interaction often with really small employers. When a small employer, so where's the growth? So the growth possibility, should it occur, is largely around that small employer market. And that small, the small employer has been in denial for the last 25 years about whether they need to buy employment practices insurance. And I don't know that the Me Too movement does a whole lot to cause them to get past their, well, I don't need that. My employees love me. And if something goes wrong, we'll fix. We'll find out. We'll fix it. Which you know, both of which are really naive statements. Well, so, there's a little bit of a sense of oh, we're we're all a family at 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 this small small firm, uh, and that that might be well and good, but families have pretty harsh disputes sometimes as well. <laughs> that is so true. Um, so we do see. I do hear. Let's let me put it this way. I hear this is largely from the insurance companies. I do hear of of a little bit of increased interest from employers who aren't buying employment practices insurance to which the insurance company product lead and I both are both of us reaction is how is it even possible that there are any out there that aren't already buying this kind of insurance? And, um, you know, sometimes the coverage for employment practices is part of another coverage. Uh, and and so what seems like it's a, 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 a previous or a currently uninsured employer is actually insured through a different mechanism, and they're just going to buy a separate policy. So in terms of trends, it's going to be, it's more about buying more insurance and maybe still getting at that tiny employer market, uh, which has been a tough market all along. So it's probably more that hey we we thought twenty million was a lot of limit. Right. Now we think we better buy you know fifty uh, or whatever uh, or up. Um, so trends in terms of purchasing that that's a tough one. You would think there would be a you know a tsunami of potential new insureds until you realize this is a pretty mature market already. Right. Already kind of saturated. Are, there, are there any headlines or big trends in your, your 2018 report that we haven't touched on that are kind of a, a big ticket thing that, that listeners might be interested in? Yeah, I, th- I think you covered it really nicely. Um, the, uh, the, the one of distre- the distressing things from our standpoint has, has always been that a large number of the insurance companies focus too much on expense control when it comes to defense cost and not enough on the quality of the representation. I can't say that that's a new trend. It's kind of an ongoing thing that I've been, you know, bewailing for for years. Um, I think that's still important from the listener's standpoint to be really sure that you're going to be able to use the defense attorneys that you think are suitable for you. 
and make sure that the insurance companies approve that before you have a claim and have a problem. You know, I think you've I think you've covered it nicely. Are there any big open questions that you have for what employment litigation is going to look like in, in 2019, or, or what what some trends that that maybe you're in a wait and see mode at this point? Yeah. Um, yes. So, employment litigation uh, judgments and settlements, except way out there at the end of the curve have largely been, you know, a couple of million here, a couple of million dollars here and a couple of million dollars there. And I don't mean to trivialize that, you know, that that's still a lot of money, right? But if you're a major employer, you can look at employment practices, liability insurance cost as, and I'm going to have to define this in a moment, but as a cost of doing business. By that, I mean, unfortunately, they might be thinking these things are going to happen. Uh, the statistical probability and stability is, you know, pretty predictable. Uh, we 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 think we have a handle on how much of this is going to happen in any given year, and our big worry is the real blowout when what used to be two million turns into twenty million, and and you know, and then the the few but headline events which maybe go to class action that go into, you know, conceivably hundreds of millions. Those are the, those are the real problems. And what's disturbing for me is that if we've come to accept a million or two million is sort of the routine cost of doing business with these claims, I think that's a tragedy. Um, you, you lose sight that it's actually quite a bit of, quite a bit of money uh, for, for any business, but. Well, and quite a bit of pain too. So if we, if I think about the pain from the uh, you know the victim side, and I think about the pain from the employer side, and I think about you know not only the pain that led up to the filing of the complaint, but then the the pain you know during the process of of settling and fixing and all that. Of uh, you know we can all dream about these things never happening, but I'm, I'll tell you I'm going to keep dreaming. I'll I'll, I'll keep trying as hard as I can to see. See what are the best ways to, to minimize, if not better yet, eliminate things that the things that are done that yeah that you know that lead to these bad situations. It's a, it's a, the, old, it's a the old cliche, uh, just an ounce of, of prevention is, is better than a million dollars of cure. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We need a vaccine, right? <laughs> well, uh, so. it, it's a it's a multi. Uh, it's a <laughs> the disease has many different forms, so it's a it's. Definitely, uh, definitely in need of, of some new treatments. Uh, Rick, where can our listeners go to get a copy of your 2018 EPLI report? And I, and I believe the full name of the report is the Employment Practices Liability Insurance Market Survey 2018. So the best place to, to find is my, my publisher is uh, very well known in the insurance and risk management community. It's, the, it's called IRMI, I-R-M-I. So at IRMI.com. Uh, ERMI stands for International Risk Management Institute. They're in Dallas. They're my publisher. So if you want to learn about the Betterly Report, which is the, the report that we do six times a year, one issue of which is employment practices, ERMI.com and, and do a quick look for the Betterly Report. You'll get it and you'll come up with some good descriptive information about the reports. And uh, there's a complimentary uh, post, the complimentary uh, PDF of the, of the, the first 
few pages, I think it is, of, of each of the reports. Okay, great. So, so people can read it, get, get a taste. Yeah, of people can yeah. get a taste and decide if it's something that they. It, it is a uh, a very long document. It's, it has a lot of detail. Uh, a lot of care has gone into putting it together. And if somebody is uh, in the uh, HR risk realm, uh, it is is definitely a, a very useful useful reference. Um, and I'll put a, a link to the the army.com and, and to our show notes on the website. Our, our guest today has been Rick Betterly of Betterly Risk Consultants. Rick, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the HR Risk Podcast. This episode is presented by ECDESK.com, the software that helps prevent workplace harassment and spot untapped talent. You can find show notes for today's episode at ECDESK.com slash podcast. That's E-K-D-E-S-K dot com slash podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.